Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pauley, and in this episode I talk with Oren Hetzroni, a product designer and spoon carver from Israel. After studying design, Oren initially started wood turning before he discovered the work of Robin Wood. This led him into the world of green wood, where he continues to this day. Oren carves amazing spoons, and he also teaches the craft to others. He hosts weekly carving gatherings at his homestead, and also organizes a yearly event called Fisticuff. Oren is also active on the virtual spoon carving site Rise Up and Carve, a platform where anyone can join, ask questions, and meet others from around the world with a similar interest of greenwood carving. I'm very grateful I had the chance to get to speak with Oren today, and I hope you enjoy listening. If you do enjoy these podcasts and would like to support it, you can do so by telling others about it, sharing it online, or by buying one of my Endless Possibilities spoon carving t-shirts, which can be purchased uh, online through my website with a link in the show notes. Thank you, and on to the podcast. Good morning, Oren. Thank you for joining me. Hey, good morning. Yeah, thank you for making the time, first of all. And um, yeah, look forward to having a chat, asking you some questions. Um, maybe we could start with you just telling a little bit kind of about your background. Um, I think you've been carving spoons for quite some time, but maybe you could just, yeah, tell a, a little bit about where you are and, um, yeah, maybe how you got into the wood carving and then spoons specifically. Okay. Um, this might take up the entire podcast. <laughs> so so yeah. I'll start in the, be- in start in the beginning. Um, well, I, I grew up in a small village uh, in Israel, uh, Roughly in the center of Israel, um, with a lot of uh, woodworking around me relative to, to to Israel. It's not a country that has a lot of woodworking history, but I do have some woodworkers in the family, grandfather a carpenter and uh, great-grandfather a carpenter and some uncles around and things like that. So I've, I've grew up with a, with a little pocket knife in my pocket and uh, everybody around me was always whittling something small or when something was needed, it was something that you made by hand. Um, I, I never went on a, on a school trip or a Cub Scout trip without coming back with a walking stick whittled or something of that sort. That was just part of, of, of growing up for me. Um, and then uh, during uh, university, I studied uh, industrial design and I really got into wood turning then. So, mm-hmm that really drew me. I, I love the fact that you finish on the lathe and it's, it's a finished product. You get this, this amazing, you know, finished thing with, uh, at one session. Um, and then for a while I was researching, you know, like as one does watching YouTube videos and I stumbled upon, um, Robin Wood's, uh, interview on the BBC. It was an old video. And, um, the lady there that was interviewing him, was asking, so where do you, where do you get these tools that you're using? They're very unique. And uh, he said, well, obviously I make them here on my forge. And uh, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my goodness, he does the whole thing. How come I don't do that? So I took a blacksmithing class, made myself an ax, some knives, and, um, and got into green woodworking proper. Before that, it was more dry wood whittling and, and, um, more traditional, I guess, woodworking. And that kind of 
introduced me to that world of uh, of what Robin does. And uh, that was a rabbit hole that I couldn't get out of. And just, mm. it was endless from there. Um, it came just at the right time for me because um, turning was something I needed to go to the shop, change clothes, take a few hours. I had little kids at the time. Um, and then uh, my daughter was about a year old and my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I needed to spend a lot of time with the kids. Mm -hmm. And spoon carving was just the perfect escape. I, as a creative person, I have that need always to create something, to make something. And this gave me that opportunity to still make something um, on the go. You know, I don't need many tools. It doesn't make a big mess. I can do it while watching the kids. I can do it in the living room. I can do it in the park. I could take it anywhere. It's a short process that you get that catharsis at the end. You get that uh, that satisfaction of making something, which I really needed, and I can do it in short bursts every day easily. And um, and it was just addicting. That was it. That was mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't stop. And that was um, what, maybe 12, 12 years ago. Now I've been making about a spoon every day. Wow! Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it was okay, quite the yeah, practicality of it, huh? Which is the same for me, where I can like take up those little moments between life and even five minutes. Sometimes I catch myself for these most random moments, like, ah, oh, pick up a spoon and take a few slices. Yeah. I I think it's it's the combination of the practicality and the satisfaction you get of an object that's uh it's these small steps, you 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 get it pretty quickly. And um, there's always an improvement. Um, I'm still not tired of making spoons. You can still make mm. more and more and more. And I think that's part of the attraction of of why it's so so wide. You know, um, spoon carvers versus the rest of the green woodworking community um, is is a, a, a very wide uh, um, collection of, of different kinds of people that I find that that are drawn to it. Versus I don't know bull turners. That's a little bit more hardcore. You need facility you need to be a little bit more go outside and 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 saw a big log and um it's a it's a little bit different kind of 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 craft and this is something that you can do sitting in an apartment in a balcony and it's just the fact that it's it's so approachable is makes it so popular i think yeah definitely did you then when you studied design and you got into the the turning did you what is your like job? Did you start working as a turner, making a living, or how? how no, um, I, I actually have a day job. Um, I'm a, I'm a product designer in a mm-hmm. large corporation. I do uh, toolboxes for Milwaukee Tools. Yeah. Um, it's a line called Packout. These are uh, modular um, organization systems for tool storage. I've been doing that for I don't know maybe almost 14 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, almost everybody has a toolbox that I've designed in their house. I was doing toolboxes for Home Depot and for a lot of other companies. So it's traditional plastic tool storage, which is almost the opposite of uh, of, of wooden spoon carving in many ways, because this is in, in injected plastic. So um that's more for the job and the spoons are for the soul. <laughs> yeah. 
although your position as a designer, I guess your day-to-day is mostly at a computer or like are you how yeah? Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of hours on on CAD 3D building mm-hmm. different different components. Um it does have also a little bit more crafty side to it. I do build by hand a lot of models and do a lot of experiments uh-huh. and uh, go out into the field and try out my uh my products but uh yeah i would say at least 80 percent of my days is sitting next in front of a computer so so that escape of sitting next to the fire at the end of the day with a uh, fresh piece of wood is uh is a good escape from that yeah yeah interesting and then because i was talking to my previous guest about how some people yeah, after a long day that are working these full-time jobs, like couldn't imagine doing much more apart from like sitting on the on the couch and watching TV or, you know, just kind of blobbing out. But for you working full-time and that job sitting there at the desk, then obviously, yeah, the spoon carving is something in that sense that relaxes you is a counter. It's not like, or do you have it often where I'm like too tired to carve or does that not happen happen so, so often? That's very rare. Yeah. For, for me, for me, it's it, it's something that kind of puts me into that spoon zone. So I kind of zone out <laughs> and become more relaxed and chill mm-hmm. when I'm doing something like that. I think some of us just have that need to to make something all the mm-hmm. time, and this gives me that fix. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I I would be knitting or um I don't know weaving, mm-hmm. making something. Yeah, cool. One thing when um, when I look at your like Instagram, where you're quite active, uh, I think I'm not sure how often you're posting. What's interesting is I looked again at your um, at your profile because I knew I was going to have a chat with you, and then I started seeing more of your posts come up. And I don't know if it's something with the algorithm, but then I re- remembered I ah, actually the last months I haven't seen so much from from Orin, so I'm not sure. Yeah, if it is an algorithm thing, or you're not quite as active posting quite as much as previously do you know yeah i haven't i haven't been as as active uh i i did try to post at least three times a week a reel or something mm. on instagram i was doing it very intensively the past two years i i really enjoy the video editing and making these funny little videos and um um i don't know lately it's kind of I think the fact that the algorithm itself has been kind of drifting away from me, not being on my side, mm. um, kind of uh, made me shy away from it. Uh, but I'm hoping to get back to doing a little bit more videos, um, hopefully soon. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things is, yeah, with your videos, it's very fun to kind of scroll through because like you said, you were we're posting a lot uh, more reels and videos than other people. I think I've done one or two videos, but generally I'm just making a few photos and yeah, watching these, these nicely edited reels is just kind of fun because you have this cool music. You have a really great taste of music. I feel like, which is all over the place, but generally I'm like, ah, that's awesome song. And some of it, I know some of it I don't, but I really like, like how it kind of, yeah, sets the theme and gives a kind of vibe and Often you get a real taste for for your home there. I think it's at your house, your your place where you're hosting people and hosting these these uh, gatherings. And it just looks yeah, it looks so cool the way you've cut it up and you get to see the animals and people working and people making music. It just looks like 
yeah, such a great place. Um, how did that come about, this kind of hosting these gatherings? How does that work and how did it start? Well, um, it, it started, I guess it started when I started spoon carving. Um, I showed a friend how, how I do it and then it kind of caught on and another friend and another friend and I started building this uh, group of spoon carving friends around me or teaching my close friends how to carve spoons so I would have people to carve with because mm-hmm. I was carving on my own in the beginning there was just another another guy I heard of somewhere down further south from me his name is Yoav and he was carving spoons and then uh, and then we planned on meeting and he moved to the UK and then another guy named Mikey up north who was carving spoons and there we were all kind of far apart so I kind of uh started teaching friends that were around me how to carve spoons and um it sort of grew into a little carving circle um in the beginning the first couple of years uh, I tried to make it more of a maybe more of a little side hustle teaching spoon carving teaching more advanced spoon carving and I would do it once a month I would do uh, a, a little short class people would come into my to my farm and uh and I would teach them a little bit of what I know. Other teachers would come in as well. And with time, I, I, I noticed that my favorite part was just hosting people. I just loved having a group of people around that were like-minded. We could chat and, and, and carve next to each other. And it just became um, a thing I couldn't, I, I couldn't uh, tell people not to come. I enjoyed it so much. And mm. people come every single Friday um it's there kind of light at the end of the week so it's become more of like a a, a group community uh people um start showing up uh around eight in the morning on fridays everybody knows that friday you don't make any other plans friday is for spoon carving mm-hmm. um we have lunch together uh people bring uh bring different woods um and it's pretty much just kind of uh, grew on its own. Um, so there, there isn't really any, any specific rules to it. Sometimes people bring other friends that don't know how to carve spoons and teach them on the side. And it just became this kind of thing. Sometimes it's even more than just Friday. Some people show up on Thursday and sleep over camp in the yard or take one of the spare bedrooms and stay all the way till Saturday night. And it becomes like a long weekend. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's what I look forward to every week. It's so nice to have something like this that, you know, is coming and it's going to be, um, your highlight. Uh, and, and some of these people have become great spoon carvers. Um, there is, uh, no, he's been coming to my place since he's 16 every Friday, his parents would drive him and then he got a license and now he's 22 and out of the army and doing his uh, world tour of learning uh, from different craftspeople and he's become a master carver. Um, there's people that have just been every single weekend for, for years. It's, it's, it's just so much fun. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Very cool to hear how that, how that happened. And yeah, it looks like a place when you when you watch those things like, oh, I want to go there. I've talked to other people about it too, you know, talking about it like, oh, you're going to go to Orange. And I know a few people we know 
uh, George and a few people through Rise Up have made it there. And it's like one of those places for people. Yeah. In the spoon community, I feel like that know of you. It's like, that's a destination we all want to go and visit and spend time. So it's such a cool thing you, you, you've done there. And yeah, it's interesting to hear. Okay. At the start, you, you wanted other people to carve with and eventually, no, I guess with growing those communities, it takes a life of its own at a certain stage, no, where people start inviting friends. But yeah. initially you did actively like ask people, Hey, do you want to come and join and maybe made some sort exactly. of advertising? You, you kind of build the space, you know, if you mm. build it, they will come. So I kind of uh, created a little space. I made a shave horse and made a few axing blocks and had the facility for something like this to happen. And then, uh, I was happy happy to host. Uh, I love hosting people, and and that's it. Once once you start it, people will get addicted to it because it really is uh, so so rewarding, and it just becomes it takes a life uh, of its own slowly, and it uh, just builds up. And seeing these kinds of uh, spoon carving communities pop up in different places around the world now, I was lucky to join uh, Deborah's. Uh, in the summer, um, her her spoon club in London, which was just beautiful. Um, so these kind of little spoon clubs are just uh, are really inspiring. And anybody that that doesn't have one around them needs to just start one on their own, and you'll see people will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's it's some some of the people have changed throughout the years. There's people that uh, it's 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 just what they need for at a certain amount of at a certain time of their lives. You know, sometimes you have that that need for for something that's missing in your life for that certain period, and 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 then you have it. You you go intensely, you get really into it, and it fulfills that that need that you have. And then when you don't need it anymore, you go off, and other people will fill that void. And we've had like a kind of change of different people throughout the years because it has been going on for for quite a while, and people kind of grow up in in this community and come and go. There's quite a few anchors that have been there for forever, but um, uh, there's always like this kind of uh, interesting dynamic of uh, of different positions that are filled inside this little community. Like there's the matriarch, there's the older ladies that uh, that make sure everybody's in line, and mm. there is somebody that likes to take uh, in charge of the kitchen and make sure everybody eats. Um, there is. Uh, Daniel, who is always uh, around holidays, making sure that we have all kinds of little traditions, raising a glass for the new year and things like that. Um, These communities kind of have their own their own dynamics that naturally fall into place, which are really magical. In the end, the spoon carving is just an excuse, really. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting what you're saying, how, yeah, people find their roles and I guess unconsciously or consciously realize hey i'm an important piece of it and yeah this is my little way i uh, yeah. add to it eh? because yeah the 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 parts coming together and everyone like you say doing the little bit makes it nice for everyone but yeah that happens more or less organically if you have the people that yeah, see it very cool so what apart like building this space um, are there any things that kind of are vital to it? Um, the physical space, I guess, once you get enough people, yeah, people finding their different roles. Do you did you ever feel pressure 
as kind of the host, like to, well, I've got to make sure, or was there not that much because people started taking their own roles? Or did you ever feel the weight of like, that's a um, bit my yeah, def- de- definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do feel sometimes I have to kind of manage different things. There's the logistics side of it. So um, somebody has to take charge and make sure that there is, um, I don't know, the, the coffee's all set up and um, we, we get the ingredients to make lunch and think about what we're going to make that day. Um, make sure that there's wood. Um, so um, it's just a little bit to, to be on top of it. Not really. I, I don't really feel that it, it takes up too much of my, of my time, but you do need somebody to be kind of aware that everything is in place and uh, to raise a little flag just in case say, let's say we're, we're out of green wood and nobody happened to collect anything. So we have mm-hmm. a, a WhatsApp group. I think we're about a hundred people in it all together in this uh, for these Friday gatherings and um, somebody will find something and then everything always, always works out or pull some wood out of the freezer. Or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, we do also have a little workshop. Well, it's it's my personal workshop, but uh, we um, have uh, we collected collect some money for things that uh, we need to buy once in a while. You know, oil for the chainsaw, new blade for the bandsaw. People go in and use the lathe. The um, uh, I don't know. We just got a new. Uh, diamond wheel for the Tormek. So little group things like that, that uh, really make it also uh, very convenient for, for other spoon carvers that wouldn't necessarily be able to, or think it's, it's worth it to, to invest money in, in an expensive tool. Once you do it as a community, mm. then uh, it, it really helps. So it's just managing these little things. Once in a while, somebody comes in that takes charge and decides they're going to be, um, in charge of, of of all the logistics for the group, and then they retire, and somebody else takes over, and it's it's very it, it fluid. It moves around, and, but it always seems to to work out somehow. Yeah. And of course, uh, other than the community, the in the group, in the space, um, it, I host there um, a uh, spoon carving festival. We do one day a year a bigger uh, festival. Um, we call it the Festi Kaf, which is Kaf is a spoon and Festi is, well, obviously festival. Um, and I've been doing that since 2018. I started, uh, well, I've been wanting to do it, I think, since the first spoon fest I, I, um, I came to, which was, I think, 2015 or 16. And, um, I was just blown away with it. It was the the funnest thing I've ever been to. So many people that are just the same as me and and love this crazy, weird little niche, just like I do. And for the same reasons. So I said to myself, I have, I have to have something like this. And uh, I, um, I was talking about a lot and uh, uh, another uh, teacher in Israel, his name is Chaim. And um, he was pushing me and saying, come on, just let's do it this year already. Why aren't you doing it? Let's just do it together. And uh, we kind of organized this event together and uh, gathered all the spoon carvers in Israel. Um, it's roughly 150 participants. We do like a 
three-day festival. Um, now, nowadays, it's become more of an international festival. Um, this year, there were supposed to be maybe 10 teachers from abroad flying in, especially to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become quite, quite a fun event. Yeah, cool. And that's more set up like maybe the other festivals people know where you would book for a course, different teachers, different workshops, and people pay to attend the event or pay to attend the workshops. Is it more set up like that? So I try to take a little bit from each festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I take the pre-fest kind of like it, you have at Spoon Fest. So the first day would be a day that you spend all day with a specific teacher and you take a whole long day and really go into depth into a specific uh, whatever it is you choose, um, making a cup or turning a bowl or uh, um, George taught a uh, shave horse or a spoon mule building class and then uh, was teaching a little bit of his techniques of how he makes spoons on a spoon mule. Um, so there was a, a bunch of different little little classes that would take the whole day. And, and then Friday is a little bit more like the traditional Spoon Fest festival. So you have shorter classes with a, a bunch of different teachers and a little bit of demonstrations and things of that nature. And then Saturday was more inspired by uh, Pat's Kipnaki Woods um, irregular spoon gathering, which is more just people coming together and sitting next to each other and chatting and and just doing their thing. So it's more like a spoon carving Friday traditionally mm-hmm. that I have just with a lot more people. So that's that's pretty much the way I wanted. I didn't want to miss anything. So I had a little yeah. bit of each. Take the best of each of the things. Yeah, cool. Oh, that sounds awesome too. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That sounds, that sounds great. So, so I do it in, in, in November, which is yeah. uh, for, for most of the, most of the spoon carving uh, venues is not really a time of year that you could really be out doing a festival and the advantage of doing it in November in Israel, the weather is just perfect for this. It's nice out, yeah. maybe long sleeve shirts, um, it gives a little bit of a European feel to uh, to the festival, so it's. I, I felt it was a little area where people are already get starting to get into winter, and uh, it's a good time of year to do it. I guess this the same as uh, as as the spoon spoon jam, the Australian one, mm-hmm. or I think there was also a New Zealand gathering. Or at least there used to be. I don't know if that's still going on. Okay. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. There's so much <laughs> to visit. And people, yeah, come from overseas. That's so cool. People travel to be there and yeah, experience it all. And with these gatherings, no people, I would say, go have a look at Oren's videos and you'll really see it quickly, what I'm talking about with the 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 vibe of the thing. And the food is also a big part. Maybe that's uh, some and uh, the culture Israel is like to... Yeah, the food, like it's everything and it's not done half-heartedly. It looks like, yeah, when you're going to make some food, it's not a bag of chips. It's like, yeah, it's done done with uh, with love somehow. It looks amazing. I don't know who's preparing all that food, but <laughs> it looks it looks awesome. And all served in this nicely made wooden stuff. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, well, we, when you're really deep into ninth century cutlery, I guess you're not going <laughs> to, you know, pull, pull out paper plates when the guests come out. 
that's the whole the whole point, right? But yeah, I think it's it's a big part of it. It's investing in everything, doing everything, mm. uh, you know, a hundred percent, or giving it your all. Um, uh, yeah, some people call it food club instead of spoon club <laughs> because you come for the spoons, but you stay for the food. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's 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 an important part of it. It's also also aesthetically, I think uh, that kind of definitely draws to it. We do kind of eat with our eyes, and um, it all kinds of brings it all together: the colors and the smells, and making it all you know giving that feel. Um, it, it 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 adds a lot to it. I, for me, it's an important part. Mm. What's then? So you've got a lot of. Um contact with people there weekly in person and i know i met you initially uh, through the rise up and you're also not sure if you're currently still so active but when i started spoon carving i spent some time there and you were quite uh, active you're one of the faces i saw often and uh kevin uh, is also a face you recognize if you go and rise up there's a few characters which like yeah if you go there you'll meet them and uh, and they uh You'll remember them, and you guys kind of did a good job of hosting that somehow, even though that wasn't your official position, but somehow you guys were there, and hi, and welcomed me, and um, it was really cool. How was that then, the difference, like online, carving with people versus person? You enjoy both. What's the the attraction just, to it? Yeah, to I just, I guess I'm a very social person. I enjoy yeah. enjoy people that are like-minded, and, and Rise Up was... Um, well, still is, is a beautiful uh, place for this. So when uh, I, I I started going on Rise Up um, sometime in the beginning of COVID, so I kind of did a little carving capsule of, uh, of a group of people that, that we would only meet each other. And this was like a little group that uh, would meet just because of spoon carving. So we knew we wouldn't meet anybody else and we were just... Uh, just for spoons, um, but it wasn't that that often either. So uh, um, rise up uh, for who doesn't whoever doesn't know it is a Zoom channel that you can go on and it's open twenty four seven. You can go on any time, and most likely there'll be a few spoon carvers from somewhere around the world. Um, so you just log on and you'll see other little squares of people sitting. Uh, with their knife and their little spoons and just whittling away, sometimes talking, sometimes not. Um, and you could just spend hours like that. So during lockdowns, when we'd have hours on on our own, I just had my computer in the background with the camera on with a lot of little faces. And um, while I'm carving, building, doing whatever it is uh, I do, I'm kind of spending social time with with other people. And it was it was fantastic. I made such good friends there. Quite a few of them I've already met in uh, in real life. I've either gone out to visit them or they've come out to visit me. And some really really deep relationships. When you sit till uh, the middle of the night carving in front of a screen, chatting with somebody on video, um, you end up building uh, uh, some serious bonds. And um, some of these people I've sat for for really for long hours uh chatting with and it's been for a few years and then suddenly when you meet them in person you feel like it's it just feels so natural you're suddenly sitting next to each other and uh, and and carving and the screen isn't there but it's yeah 
it's it's just magical it's it's so strange it's like it's a person you've 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 known your whole life yeah yeah and then do you notice then maybe because you've been doing that for so long and yeah talked to so many people through the screen i haven't done so much during covid yeah rise up i was a bit and then every now and again doing a podcast or a, a meeting i would speak to someone online but do you notice then the difference with the screen? Like, does it change something? Generally, people like real life is somehow different. Maybe you can see a little bit more facial expressions or something, but maybe there's positive negatives. I don't know. Do you notice a difference oh, it's, to it's, speaking it, online? It's harder to pass the spoon over to the person to show some serious <laughs> Yeah, yeah, details. holding it up really close to the camera doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. do it. But no, I I, th I think it, Zoom really does have have uh, it it does the trick. It it, it works pretty well. Um, there's nothing like actually sitting next to somebody. Of course, you're you're losing a little bit there, but but I think it works well enough for us to 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 really make some serious bonds and and mm. have some good conversations. Um, that that screen does add a lot versus a versus a, a, a voice call like we're doing now. Mm. We're sitting and seeing each other, and we can see reactions. And uh, of course, this is just audio recording, but but um, it does make a difference. You see, and at, at work, I do it as as well quite often. Uh, in the new corporate world is a, a lot of uh, mm. video calls all the time, especially. Since COVID, I, I work a lot with international groups. Um, the market I design for is in America, and uh, the companies that produce most of the stuff are sitting in China, and I'm sitting right in the middle um, in the Middle East. And uh, a lot of my time is on video calls, uh, showing products, just like I would do with spoons. So mm. for me, it came pretty naturally. Mm. But yeah, like the positive is it just yeah opens it up that international you're reaching the world like on rise up you literally get people from yeah all over the world and someone jumps on from india and here and there where you meet people you'd never get the chance to meet otherwise which is really funny and cool and the conversations there can be really hilarious because because of just that <laughs> this that's mixture the, yeah of that's people. very true yeah and and it is it is niche right so you might not have other spoon carvers around you, but then suddenly you realize that you're not alone. There's so many people mm -hmm. just like you. They're just <laughs> spread out around the world. And suddenly yeah. your best friend is in Illinois or uh, in the Netherlands. And um, you, you don't need that. That borders suddenly disappear because it's like the person is right next door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just sitting in, in Germany and uh, I'm all the way here. So quite, a, quite it's, amazing. It's as if we're sitting right next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about actual the spoon carving. Maybe you could. Uh, I'll ask you the question: Like, what makes a really great spoon? What What are some things you think of when I ask you that? What makes a great wow. spoon? So. So for me, um, you say a great spoon, and for me, right away, um, my favorite spoon pops into in, into mind. Um, it's a spoon I got uh, from uh, Benoit from uh, mm -hmm. Switzerland. Uh, he gave me it over in the last bowl gathering um, at Brookhouse Woods, and 
if if I would describe it, it would be um, um, there's something very very simple about it, but very complex. Um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, of of Barnes spoons. Um, there isn't. It, it seems like it's effortless. It's like it happened to turn out like this, but there is a lot of ye- many years or many many knife cuts of experience going in, in into that spoon to make it uh, simple but complex. So it's so, not uh, chip carved vinyl, um swoopy swoop double this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite no, the opposite. No, huh? no, like I, exactly. I, I think I understand a bit how you're describing that. Yeah, and it's something you, as an experienced carver, can probably pick up where someone else might be think, oh, this spoon with all these um, decorations and extra things, this is amazing, but you can see something in that, in that, uh, let's, I don't want to say basic because it's not, but in that um, refined spoon or something. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, sometimes there's just something just right with the balance and the Mm. swoop and the way the facets meet each other. The tangent lines just kind of connect perfectly. The size is just right. It has the just the right mouthfeel. The ergonomics is perfect. It's well balanced. Um, There's something that just brings all these together and then it doesn't need any bells and whistles and any bling. Mm-hmm. which is lovely. I really do enjoy decorative spoons and I've done a lot of decorations over the years on spoons, but the spoons that I find that I really, really love are the simple ones that are something about them is just, just right. It's just mm-hmm. the perfect spoon. Um, there's, there's uh, quite a few carvers that have that little, little thing. Um, Karel on journey sometimes has one of these you know just magic spoons that come out and uh you just don't you can't explain it you just know that there's something about it that just just very that draws you mm, and these guys um benoit and Karel, they're as far as i know aren't carving the same spoons again maybe slight tweaks but m- yeah maybe that's it's a good more point. a case of taking wood and yeah doing these little tweaks which which is in the wood itself rather than like forcing yeah. shapes onto it. Maybe because it's so different than I do. Cause um, mm. I am more of a, of a template carver. I'm a, I, I do a lot of drawing illustrations. I do sketches. Um, I think in uh, one of your earlier podcasts, uh, Lee was talking about it, that he sketches out his, uh, his yeah. spoons first in a sketchbook. I, I I've always done the same thing. As a product designer, I like to draw out my my designs, draw them out in 3D and isometric. I do a top view and a side view, and then I cut out a template and I kind of refine the shape through time. Um, and my spoons, t- to me, they look different, but they're almost identical and just have a very slow evolution and that they go through to 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 be become more refined. And I understand a little bit more of the flow and and things like that um maybe i'm attracted to to benoit spoons or mm. Arels or others that do this this style because it's uh, so different uh out of my comfort zone i don't know mm-hmm. but for me i try to I, I i do a very tedious um process of very sy- uh, systematic system of how 
I carve out my spoons and I stick to it and I use my templates and don't stray from them too much um, to make it in the end a product that looks like it was easy, but it just seems effortless and flows and, and a little bit organic. Um, I think I would describe my spoons as uh, relatively organic shaped. Uh, they're not, not too many straight lines. If well, there isn't a straight line in, in any of the spoons of mine. Um, and that's kind of something I try to, to bring onto the spoon, which is the opposite of the, the, the system of how I make the spoons, which is mm-hmm. pretty rigid. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, just over time. And now you kind of yeah, do have that recognizable shape and recognizable snail, which anyone who knows our own <laughs> stuff, like the snail, anytime I see a snail, I think of you <laughs> because you often have the snail. I'm not sure if it's every time, but uh, almost more, it's most. Yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah. How I did do you get, get a lot of pictures of snails uh, from people <laughs> on Instagram. I get daily, I get messages. People just walk by a snail and take a picture yeah. of it and send me. And I love that. <laughs> Yeah. How did I get into in, into the snails? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm, I've always been into into archaeology, and in the local archaeology here, you see a lot of animal figures on different pottery and on cutlery, just in general as as a decorative theme. Um, and kind of going into spoon carving, um, I wanted something that was a little bit more local. So um, everything that I've seen was mostly inspired by Northern European uh, designs. And I wanted to kind of give it that little uh, local uh, touch. So I looked around me for different inspirations and living on a small little farm. So a lot of the things I put in were things that I saw in, in, in my surroundings, uh, chickens and and frogs and um um goats and things of things of that sort um and snails were just a, a natural progression onto it i've always been into into snails as a kid i wanted to be an entomologist and uh, snails would have been my my area for sure i was a big fan of 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 these little unloved creatures um and I think I, I think the snails kind of work as a little uh, maybe uh, memento mori uh, uh, kind of uh, a little symbol of that you see in in in, in art sometimes uh, to to remind us that that things don't last forever. So you kind of uh, you would see let's say in a in a painting of flowers you see a little bit of bugs around or food and then there's a fly landing on the side. And it's kind of a little reminder of the of life is 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 short, and um, putting a little snail on a, on a spoon kind of reminds us to appreciate the beautiful little things in life because it's not going to be there forever. Mm. So, mm-hmm. I think the the snails kind of work well for me symbolically as as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's nice to know. And then, so you. Yeah, started trying these different, yeah, different ideas to make it more local to you, and then the snail, yeah, just, just, uh, just stuck, <laughs> literally, yeah. just stuck on the phone. <laughs> and you've got yeah. your 
eating spoons from what i can see is probably what uh, pops into my mind first of all is like a eating spoon with a with a snail a very nice shape and and painted sometimes some stuff with gold and then so every now and again you do some quite different things how does that yeah. just sometimes you get the urge to do something else or someone brings some some wood or why does it pop up that suddenly you say oh, i'm gonna do a big giant ladle or this or that or... <laughs> well yeah i guess i guess there's there's different reasons sometimes it really is the wood kind of uh drives you to do something you get this beautiful crook and it's it's a shame to make a little a little eating spoon out of it uh some things are born from necessity i i mm. need a specific spoon and um quite a few are from rise up so rise up has a monthly spoon challenge which they give a template of a different carver every every Pretty much every month, some carver will um, will give a template of their design, and everybody that's that wants to takes part and uh, makes uh, tries to make their insp- spoon inspired by that, or try to imitate it as close as they can. Sometimes these challenges uh, go along with uh, a little video tutorial of how the spoon is made. It's been going on for quite a while now. I've uh, taken part in quite a few of them. I've shared a few of my templates through the years. And it's a really nice way to suddenly shake things up and do something that you're not used to doing. Um, I've found it very refreshing to once in a while attempt a completely different uh, style of spoon. Sometimes it goes with chip carving. If it's a chip carver that's uh, teaching the classes, um sebastian did when or call rosing when lydia uh did her template or um just each time something else or painted spoons or and it's it's a nice way to step out of you kind of get into this rhythm and you start automatically i now i I pick up a piece of wood i'm just gonna make one of my spoons that's Mm. just what will happen if i don't Hmm. think about it it's just gonna be automatically one of my eating spoons um so i have to really get into that into that mindset of uh, of doing something different um mm. and and it and it's fun it's 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 refreshing to do that once in a while yeah yeah i took part in a few of the challenges myself and yeah like you say you <laughs> end up doing stuff you wouldn't never have uh, come to on your own with these yeah, chip carving the spoon of Sebastian and such things like a real challenge. <laughs> Sometimes it might not be the most beautiful spoon, you know, but you see, hey, there's a lot to learn. And even that kind of struggle of going through that uh, uh, is an interesting process to not just stick with yeah, what you know. Um, so for anyone listening, yeah, that's a good uh, a good tip if you do want to try something new, you know, to go to the Rise Up. Uh, rise up and carve website and then um, spoon challenge right and i think all the previous exactly. uh, templates and everything is there so you can go through and have a template which is uh, definitely help for someone new to that and a yeah, very cool thing to to try mm-hmm. then with your very unique spoons maybe you could share a few thoughts on how it is when other people carve a similarly shaped spoon with a snail on the top. And I've seen that over the years, like 
people have their recognizable spoons as you do and then someone else carves something very close to it and some people mention some don't um i feel like quite strongly about that i don't know how do you feel about that people cop copying or taking inspiration i don't know how to yeah. how to word it exactly but i think yeah. I, for for me it's 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 really flattering that people will take one of my spoons and and attempt it themselves um it's it's nice when people give credit but um my spoons also uh evolved from seeing other people's spoons and that's how that's how i learned and took a lot of the shapes uh slowly through the years of of seeing different things that that, that evolved and then once once i did it you know kind of changed it into something of of, of my own but um um I'm not opposed to it in any in any way. I'm, I think it's uh, I think it's a natural way for things to to flow. That people will uh, see a spoon that they like. I know that a lot of people that buy my spoons buy them to try to 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 learn from them, um, and I think that really really helps. In the end, what's important is is the carving itself, and not necessarily the the finished spoon. So for me, I'm not opposed to it in any way. I don't take offense uh, to it. Um, but it is nice when when somebody mentions instead, I I I got this inspiration from Owen, or I used one of his his templates. Um, um, it, it's nice to have, but uh, but it's not a must for me. I'm okay with it if uh, people don't remember to to mention where they got their inspiration from. That's yeah. I'm okay with it. It's more important that they do it. Yeah. Oh, that's a really nice, uh, good answer yeah. from you that you're so able to like, yeah, let it go. Yeah. It always ticks me off a little bit, <laughs> even yeah, though I'm I know. not the I'll, one I'll... getting my spoons uh, like copied or things, but I just, yeah, like tag them, say thank you as a minimal, but yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I guess it's for me then a practice and yeah. Oh, well, everyone lives life and does the things they do and whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i'm okay with it there's, there's so many things to to get bothered by in the world so <laughs> exactly um, yeah one less thing <laughs> yeah so when you originally were turning and then you saw robin wood and started carving because you saw him went down the greenwork path did you have mentors did you learn from people around you in person or did you just start carving and more or less self-taught there weren't many videos back then um mm. and as i said there weren't many spoon carvers around so um i think the first real carving lesson i had was um was a pre-fest class I took with Alex Yorks. Um, I was carving um, maybe two, three years spoon carving by then. And um, and I had a lot of uh, bad habits I needed to change. So um, I would highly recommend for people, if they have the opportunity, take a class as early as possible with a teacher that, that's been teaching for a while because they'll correct a lot of your bad habits that um, could be dangerous or could just cause injury. Um, I suffered from uh, from tendonitis for quite a while from doing uh, this grip that I shouldn't have been doing. It worked really well for me. I really enjoyed it, but I was putting a lot of pressure at a very bad angle, and it took me a long time to to figure out 
um, why that happened. Um, and I think that uh, if you get the basics down early, it will um, save you a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of time later. I can see it definitely with students nowadays, since there is so much out there. There's so many great videos and so many good teachers out there, and so many options that uh, people don't really need to just try it on their own and learn from their mistakes. You can learn from other people's mistakes, and we've all made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. So, uh, especially to because you are dealing with sharp tools and you could get some bad injuries. So um, I, I really recommend going to, to a teacher, but I, uh, for me, it, it, it took a while. The process was, was, <laughs> it was difficult. Um, it took me a little while before I realized we're even talking about green wood. Um, so I started like a lot of other carvers. It started completely in a vacuum with uh with a seasoned mahogany or something like that, that they happen to find and uh, trying to do it with tools that um, I made on my own. And I'm not a tool maker uh, made the process even harder. So um, the, the first, the first uh, couple dozen spoons. Uh, yeah. I had to really push through to get, to get through them. Um, even though I did a lot of carving, but um, trying to imitate something else, with the wrong technique, um, it, it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once, uh, once I came to spoon fest, suddenly abundance of, of, of teachers, it was just amazing to suddenly, you know, open up all this different techniques and uh, proper grips and try to unlearn a lot of things that I kind of, uh, developed on my own. Mm -hmm. But you, yeah, pushed even through those struggles. I think, yeah, that's for someone who wants to get into it. I think that's great advice to go to someone if that's an option, or at least watch some videos, take in information. Don't because yeah, yeah, or, it can save or go you. Go on, rise up. Mm -hmm, go on, rise up. Yeah, ask questions there. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a great resource for that, isn't it? Just to have people live asking, and then you ask that question, and that leads you on to ah, and by the way, and. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to get you through that over that initial hurdle, which probably most of us had, is that there are some frust frustrations at the start. You know, you see the work of others, you kind of know what you want, but then you, yeah, you have these uh, troubles of splitting the wood itself. I can't even do that. What do I do with knots, this and that? And it could be make or break if you have someone around you that can kind of coach you through these things, or it could be like, ah, spoon carving is hard and not for me so <laughs> yeah I, I find that as a as somebody who's taught quite a few different people through mm -hmm. the years um that um you need those little success uh stepping stones along the way because otherwise you could get frustrated and uh and, and stop with it which is a real shame because uh, i think it really can be a very satisfying hobby for for almost anyone but some people do need that little extra because there is there is a little learning curve in, mm. in spoon carving. The first spoons can take you a day, two days to carve before you're down to uh, a spoon in half an hour. So it it it, mm. it takes some time. Um, I I 
demonstrate usually in the beginning of the class of how I carve out, uh, how, how I ax out the first blank and I do it while talking and it doesn't take more than five, seven minutes to, to, to ax out a quick blank. And then I tell them, listen, this, this looked quick, but this is what you're going to be doing for the next three hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's surprising how it starts out as something and, and it's not, and it's not because they're not strong and it's not because they don't necessarily have the coordination. A lot of it is just um, knowing what, what to do. It's just the thinking, stopping and observing and understanding where the uh, grain orientation is, where the next uh, accent is supposed to be. And once you know, then it, it just becomes faster. And that's, I think, the main part of it is just already getting to this flow of process and not having to stop and think about what you're doing. The spoons just suddenly, mm. you know, appear on their own after a certain amount of spoons. Mm. Yeah. The whole process can become quite um, like ingrained in us. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can just do these things eventually with time. It's, it's in the body, right. And you could be thinking about quite, quite different things at certain parts of it. Yeah, and at the start, yeah, you have to stop and analyze. So, yeah, that's interesting. Mm. What do people that come to you, when you teach them, do you do you have kind of a set process? This is what we're going to do, or do you give a bit of freedom to people uh, to choose, like, what do you want to carve when someone comes to a carving uh, workshop? Or you kind well, of I, try and steer them into this, no, this is what we're doing. I, I used to be a lot more free with it. Um, I would uh, let people draw out their spoons and uh, decide what they want. And people were usually in the end very disappointed. Mm. So I do a, a lot of directing and a lot of steering into certain directions. Mm. Yeah, I give them options of very specific templates. And um, I have examples of what the spoon should look like. So they would get a little bit of a feel of, of thickness and things like that, which uh, when you start out is something that you always go way too thick and um, the the flow doesn't work. And sometimes you do an upside down crank, all kinds of little mis rookie mistakes that happen naturally before you, you are um, sensitive enough to all the little details of what makes a spoon a spoon. So um, I do a lot of directing and uh, I, I try to, uh, figure out who who the student is and what they want to get out of the class sometimes it's more for uh, for a fun experience some people need that extra little you know to come out with a beautiful spoon that they're happy with for them to decide to start another spoon afterwards um and some people need that uh feeling that they did everything on their own and they weren't directed um so i kind of try to figure out each student and, and teach them in whatever way I think will help them stick with it uh, for the long run. Um, so I, I have that kind of flexibility in, in the class as well. I took a, um, a, a teacher's class, te I don't know, spoon carving teacher's course with, with Barn as a prefest a few mm. years ago. I think it was in 2018, 19. Um, and, uh, we were a group of experienced teachers sitting together, kind of learning from each other. Um, and, uh, I took a lot of different tips, especially from barn 
which have uh, changed completely the way I've been teaching classes ever since then. So the past six years have been, I've been teaching the way that I guess a little bit more like barn teaches um, in, in the classes there, the, the classes split up into two parts the axing uh, and shaping is one. And then the knife work is the other. And then we flip them around. I actually start every class with a blank that I ax out ahead of time. So the students start out with knife work. Mm-hmm. Once they, if they start out with knife work, their appreciation for grain orientation is a lot better than if they start out with an ax and then they make a mistake. This way they understand a little bit more of the direction. Um, another thing that would happen is people would ax and get tired of axing and say, I don't want, I'm, I'm too tired for this. I'm just going to do the rest with the knife. And they don't realize what a mistake that is. You want as much to take, you want to take away as much as you can with an ax um, and not have to do it later with the knife. And when it's your first spoon, you don't, you, you just can't appreciate that until you've, you've done it. So when it's flipped around, then you don't have that. Um, another thing is people come in with, they're a lot more focused. And for the knife work, you need that kind of concentration um, in the beginning of the class, not after a few hours of, mm-hmm. of, of axe working when you're not in shape for working with an axe because you're, you're going to get that fatigue from, from your first time axing. So when they flip it around, it, it makes that big difference. And not everybody is into the axe. There's plenty of people that'll say, I just want to continue whittling. I, I don't want any of this axe work. I'm going to, I'll buy a, a, a blank. I don't, I don't want to, to do any axing. And that gives me also that ability for those people to continue on and decorate their spoons and do whatever they want while the rest of the class goes on. So it also gives me some freedom to play around with different people in, in the class. Also different level. Mm-hmm. Not everybody manages to do their work mm-hmm. fast enough and then they can continue on working. It's, it's a nice little tip that, um, that Barn gave us, which was I've been doing ever since. And I, it's, it's really changed uh, a lot in the classes. It gives me a lot of, of freedom and a lot more satisfied students at the end. Mm. Yeah, that does really make sense for me listening to, yeah, do it this way around and your tip of, yeah, giving them certain constraints, yeah, too much freedom. You can, they can get themselves, yeah, lead themselves into problems down the, down the road, no, by opening yeah, it up too much. Oh, I want to make this, yeah, crazy spoon. They don't realize how much uh, work that's going to be or how, how much harder a certain design of spoon is going to be, no, with a cut out and a, a neck oh, and yeah. certain things are like, we well, yeah, that is a whole another challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I teach a class at a local university. Well, it's a it's a large uh, arts and uh, design university in in, in Jerusalem um, called Betzalel, and they have a a class um, which is a cutlery design class, and they design the the knife, spoon, and fork, um, and it's uh, it's a whole semester, and they they choose material and and design and everything in the first first class. Um, is I, I come in as a guest lecturer and I give them a little bit of history of, of spoon design um, and culture and I demonstrate a little bit of, uh, of spoon carving. And then for the next class, they all come into my workshop um, and make a spoon. 
and they they do um, between those two classes they as homework design whatever wooden spoon they're going to make and then they come in with a lot of crazy designs mm. and then I kind of help them with a bunch of other teachers that join me um, other experienced spoon carvers join in for that fun day so it's um, maybe 20 to 30 students that come in um, all to my workshop and, and and have crazy ideas and then we try to solve of how they're going to make that that wooden spoon and in those classes then you know we get some really strange and unique shapes uh, a lot of fun stuff come out of that out of that class yeah i can imagine yeah i guess depends what the brief is if it's thinking more about really yeah usable designs or you're opening it up just to hey make it more of an art piece and i don't know if you have those constraints when you give the thing or it's just a not, spoon not really first of it's all, pretty, it? pretty free they do whatever they want and then they go out there and just each one goes to a whole different direction yeah yeah, yeah cool uh, very cool idea but yeah you have to know the the material i think is like you say knowing grain direction knowing the material itself sets up so much of the decision making no with what the designs once you know wood you realize hey this design is going to be a challenge for this reason and these little details or they're going to be tricky so i think that takes some time to know the material well enough to yeah realize that mm. i think for 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 students of industrial design um making a wooden spoon is a really great learning experience. You you get a lot out of it because you're learning constraints of material. Mm. You're learning ergonomics. You're learning a little bit of process. So there's a, it's a very basic consumer product that uh, you know maybe the most basic uh, and it's been around forever. And then trying to think of it as as all the aspects that go into it, um, you learn a lot about product design because it is essentially a very mm. simple supposedly simple um hmm. product that you need to design yeah supposedly simple we're still yeah. <laughs> after all these <laughs> years still trying to, come on yeah trying to get the perfect <laughs> spoon or i don't know possibly someone's chasing that or others are just yes doing it for yeah. fun mm, maybe uh kind of a a last question or 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 two before i'll let you go um yeah, selling spoons. You mentioned there you are selling your spoons. Um, would you have advice for, I don't think it's something you're pushing a lot and advertising a lot, but it's something, yeah, when you make so many spoons, you, you're happy to get rid of a few and sell them and things. But advice for someone uh, that wants to start selling their work that are carving so many spoons and yeah, would like to sell a few. I mean, make nice spoons would be my good tip. Make spoons people <laughs> want to buy. But yeah. they could well, go in different directions, like advertising yeah. or this carving itself. Well, there's yeah. a, few, a, a, few, a few things I think um, I would recommend. One is it has become a saturated market. There is a lot of really, really good spoons out there. So I think having a little unique twist to the spoon definitely helps make things stick out when when there are so many beautiful spoons out there um and i find that i like to um buy spoons from people i like so there's a lot of that that personal connection chatting with people and uh, and getting to know them 
because a lot of it is 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 behind the story of the spoon and not necessarily the spoon itself. And another thing in in in, in the actual um, selling the spoons, um, I think people are uncomfortable sometimes with some of the chat around buying. They're uncomfortable asking, "Is this for sale? How much?" And then going back on it if it's too expensive. So I think having a platform that people can do it on their own, like a site, like Etsy, I don't have it. And I, I'm always regretting not doing, not doing it. I'm sure I would sell more spoons if I did, but um, I, I sell most of my spoons. I don't have many spoons left at the end of the year. So I'm, I'm okay with it. But I think that um, I, I do find that a lot of people find it uh, more comfortable to go into a site and choose and know actually what the price is, what the wood is, and a little bit of background. And that way they can make their decision on their own without necessarily um, that interaction. Because sometimes they have a little bit of anxiety of what if he tells me it's so expensive and then I can't afford it or I want to go. This will kind of eliminate that whole area of, of uncomfortableness of, of, of buying experience. Because um, what I do is I just have on says on my instagram if you're interested in anything just let me know um and i am sure that a lot more people would be buying the spoons if i would upload them into my site and now i have a built site that has everything for it i just haven't gotten around to it yet i'm sure i will at some point yeah yeah i mean if they're selling like that it's yeah not a problem you've had to face but yeah i can understand that the reasoning behind that uh, makes sense. So maybe both sides, if someone wants to sell, not market, but more online to have an Instagram where you do show a bit of yourself so you can have yeah. that connection and um, learn a little bit about the person self and then that you know, external kind of shop where it's easy to yeah. go and scroll and look and in your own time purchase. Mm. Markets are great. I've, I've done a lot of markets, but... Um... I guess it depends on the market and where it is. Um, I haven't had much success of markets over here um, in Israel. There isn't; it's not a very big craft-oriented um, area. People don't necessarily go and buy a lot of, of handmade things like uh, like in the UK or in other places. Um, so it it hasn't been that successful in this area selling in markets. And I think a lot of the spoons are more oriented to other spoon carvers. Now, when if but the the standing at the stall and carving the spoons that definitely attracts a lot of people, and I think I I get a lot more students out of it for spoon carving classes than I sell spoons, uh -huh. Uh -huh. which is a big plus because um, you make more from teaching spoon carving than selling spoons, at least in my case. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, oh, good, good ideas. Mm, okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for making the time. You're you're at work and you made some time for me, so I appreciate that a lot. You're taking your uh, a break to come and have a chat with me, so thank you very much. And this has um, been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, me too. I will um yeah put some links and things so people that don't know you maybe uh, will be able to find you and and see the things we talked about today and yeah contact you follow you 
buy one of your yeah. cool snail spoons and all. <laughs> and if anybody has questions and and even wants to meet up on, on on a Zoom channel on Rise Up and talk about spoon carving, so don't don't be shy. Send me a message and I'll be happy to. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, and that's it, I guess. Thank you so much. This has been fun for me. So cool. thank you, Arn. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find Oren and see his work, you can find him on Instagram at Hitsronio. You can also check out his website and there will be a link to that and also to the festival we talked about during the podcast in the show notes. So thanks again and happy carving. Happy carving.